1: The desire is good, but the desire is not enough. There needs to be an equipping, there needs to be a calling within their life that comes from the very throne room of God. The desire is good, but the desire is not enough because there are also requirements, requirements, again, that are set forth within the word of God, just as Paul gives us here. And as a matter of fact, Paul in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there, he gives us 17 different requirements that he has listed.
0: Many of us have had overwhelming feelings of being called to a specific career, ministry, or passion at some point in our lives. On the other hand, many of us have also found that with patience and diligence, we discovered it wasn't a calling after all. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us the importance of discerning between callings and urges, especially with ministry. In our study, we learn that while a desire is commendable in and of itself, it's only a fraction of the requirements needed for success. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, The Call of the Overseer, part one.
1: if the desire is to lord it over some hey i want to be a pastor so i can be in charge I, I want to i want to i want to have charge i want to have control i want i want to be the commanding guy i want to be the guy uh, up front that's what i want to do then we know hey you know what the the motivation's all wrong or or maybe hey i want to be a pastor because i mean after all all i got to do is prepare a couple of bible studies during the week they pay me full time what a cush job that is Glad you laughed, okay, because I'm afraid some of you were wondering, well, isn't that what it is? No, that is not what it is. This is the easy part of the job, actually. Uh, All the rest of it, uh, boy, okay. But anyway, if, if that's the wrong idea, it's the wrong motivation. The inspiration and the desire to be a pastor, an elder, a bishop, a leader within the church has to come from the Holy Spirit. It's got to be a willingness to actually serve people. And if God has placed those under your care, then again, that's your responsibility. But unless the Spirit of God calls a man into that position, he'll never be fully useful in the kingdom of God. Oh, he may be a great speaker, he might be a great motivator, but for the kingdom of God, it becomes a useless work. He'll continually be led by his emotions or by the whims of man. Well, I, w- I want to stay popular, so I've got to say everything that everybody wants to hear. And if I, if I ruffle people's feathers too much, I, I might lose my job. So I've got to make sure that I say the right thing at the right time to the right people. All of that will will bring great problems and, and many times destruction to the church by a man who is not called, not gifted, and not placed there by the Holy Spirit. The desire is good, but the desire is not enough. There needs to be an equipping, there needs to be a calling within their life that comes from the very throne room of God. The desire is good, but the desire is not enough because there are also requirements, requirements, again, that are set forth within the word of God, just as Paul gives us here. And as a matter of fact, Paul, in in 1 Timothy chapter 3 there, he gives us 17 different requirements that he has listed. When he writes to Titus again, in Titus he says, for elders, this is the deal, but understand the combination of those words. Believe he's in essence saying the same thing. There's 18 different requirements. Now, if you try to lay these two side by side, what what he says in Timothy and what he says in Titus, you're gonna see two things. Number one, that the lists are very similar, very similar. But the second thing you're going to find out is they're not exactly the same. There's some differences. And I say that to help you to understand like many of the lists that the Apostle Paul gives us, whether that be the gifts of the Spirit as he lists in Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians, they're, they're not all the same. There's a difference, there's a variance. Again, they're not all inclusive. There are differences. And as such, We need to be very careful not to get too dogmatic about some of these issues. And in some of these issues, in some of these cases, there can be other specific qualifications that are added as the need arises, as the the, the nature of the community arises. You know, he doesn't have anything, either in Timothy or Titus, about uh, that a bishop or an elder should not be uh, addicted to gambling. Or a, a, you know, we, we could list several other things. But, but the fact is, you look and say, yeah, well, that, that, that would be something. We wouldn't want somebody serving our church that's addicted to gambling and says, that's okay, I'm going to take the offering. I've got a great deal. Uh, I know it in Vegas. I can double it or nothing. So, uh, no, you don't want that guy, okay? So, again, we, we see that, by and large, we, we want, I want you to see here, Paul is setting forth a, a principle, He's setting forth a, a standard of, of character for those individuals, for those men that are going to stand before God's people as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, a principle and a character. And again, Paul gives us here and, and also in Titus, it's not simply a checklist to go through. Okay, yeah, he matches that one, he matches that one, he matches that one. Oh, he's a little light on this one, but he's like over in abundance on this one, so that all balances out. He scored 90 out of 100. Yeah, he's the guy. It's, it's not a checklist mentality. It is a principle and a character of the individual that we're looking at. And when you look at these qualifications, by and large, we can see that the lists are actually valid for any individual believer. It's not just for the elders. Every one of us, as as believers in Christ, we ought to be blameless. We ought to be temperate. We ought to be sober-minded. We ought to be of good behavior, and on and on we go. These These are characteristics as believers you and I need to have. So again, but those that desire to be placed in a position of leadership as a bishop, as an elder, as a pastor, as an overseer. The characteristics within their lives, these characteristics need to be consistent, clearly consistent, both to the church and to the outside world. The world needs to look at the leadership of the church and says, okay, they they have an individual there that whether they go through a checklist or not, it's someone that they can see, man, that that guy has integrity. That man has, again, a, a direction in his life that I can see, again, he has responsibility. So with that in mind, Let's try and get a more complete understanding again of of what Paul is, is setting forth here to Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, to the first century church, and also look at it today, the 21st century church where we find ourselves. So one last thing. I don't believe that Paul has put these things in any order of importance, that, uh, hey, this one being blameless, that that's the most important thing. But it is interesting that both in Timothy and in Titus, that whole idea that the bishop must be blameless is the very first one that we look at. And the Greek word that's used here for the meaning of being blameless is being above reproach. In other words, there's no way that someone can bring an accusation to this man. There's no way that somebody's going to bring blame to this man. In other words, there's nothing within the individual's character that would open them up for accusations or give ground for any charges against their life. I love how one commentator put it. He, he did the, the history of that word that they use for blameless. And he says in early, early Greek, the word actually uh, described a wrestler that would not allow his opponent to grab a hold of him, did not allow him any open spots to be able to snag him. And so that's the kind of the same concept that in leadership, again, you don't want to give the enemy any kind of an opportunity for any open shots or any open areas of being able to snag you. Now, being blameless, the next characteristic is one that's actually caused much consternation, a lot of misunderstanding, and a lot of fret through the years. Paul says that the bishop must be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Now, gang through different denominations, through church groups, through commentators through the years, they've interpreted this in a variety of ways. The unfortunate reality is I don't believe that all of them have really remained true to the biblical context, nor true and unbiased in their literary interpretation. What does that word mean? What does it mean within the context and believe me, as I've looked at this, the, the, the interpretations, they run a, a full course of, of understanding. They're all over the map. First of all, some believe, okay, an elder or a bishop, he has to be married. In other words, a single guy can't be a pastor or can't be an elder. you got to be married. Paul says, you got to be the husband of one wife, so you have to be married. Others of them, they look at that and say, well, he can't even be a widower at that point in time. And what's really weird is I looked at this, different commentators and through the years, the church in different ways, were all over on this thing. Some say, well, we don't want a man to be a widower unmarried because he has to be married. He has to be the husband of a wife. So if he's a widower, he needs to get married. And then on the other side over here is the church that says, well, no, if he was a widower, that means he had a wife before, and now he's getting a second wife, so now he's a husband of two wives. So, no, he can't get married. And so it's so confusing, and they they were literally at odds with each other. Some uh, said, well, he could have never been divorced. And regardless of the conditions, regardless of the timing of the divorce, even if they were divorced before he became a believer. You know, hey, man, back when I was 19, I was married, but I didn't know Jesus. And I came to Christ at at 28, but by that time, I had messed my life up. I had gotten a divorce. We had a couple of kids and da-da-da-da-da-da. But now my heart is on fire. Sorry. You've been divorced, that's it. You cannot be in the, in the ministry. You're, you're, you're disqualified for it. Well, what about in the case of abandonment, or what about in the case of adultery on the form, uh, you know on the part of the, the, the wife? Well, man, my, my, my wife, she ran around on me all the time. I wanted to serve Jesus, but she didn't, and she got involved in all kinds of stuff, and we finally divorced. That doesn't matter, doesn't matter. You're divorced, you're disqualified. And for years and years, the church has been that way. And for years and years, many churches, many denominations, divorce was, and in many cases, it still is considered the unpardonable sin. Beloved, I don't believe that that's what Paul was speaking about here. Some even felt that Paul was dealing with the issue of polygamy, a very common practice in the Roman culture, but really historically, we don't find it recorded as being a, a, a situation or an issue within the church itself. So all of these areas, the idea, well, you know, you, he has to be married. He can't be a single guy. The the fact of being a widower, I, I don't think that that's what he's talking about. I don't even believe that divorce is the situation here. Literally, When you look biblically of what Paul said and the words that he used, literally what he is saying and what it should be interpreted is, is that a bishop or an elder or a church leader ought to be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. And again, that's based primarily on the fidelity of that leader's commitment to his wife. It's interesting, Philip Towner states it, I, I think, best when, when he describes that throughout Paul's listed requirements, there's an important axiom. What one does or is in one's private life has consequences for the church. Did you catch that? Let me give it to you again. What one does or is in one's private life has consequences for the church. Then he goes on to say, it follows that within Paul's holistic outlook, in other words, looking at the whole man, not just simply a checklist, but in Paul's holistic outlook, which brings together personal and domestic qualities, it's far more likely that he would stress fidelity within marriage. So the point of the phrase is probably not how often one can be married, nor precisely what constitutes a legitimate marriage, but rather how one conducts oneself in one's marriage. Is he a one-woman man? In other words, where is his heart? Where is his mind? What is the structure of his life right now? Now, We're going to move on. Paul's next characteristic is is temperate, and that actually kind of goes right along with the idea of sober-mindedness. And both of these have the idea of not being led or directed by outside forces, being of a sound mind, having a controlled character, being clear-headed, being balanced, being serious about the responsibilities of leadership. Now, when I say serious about the responsibilities, that doesn't you know, say, well, if the guy's got a sense of humor, forget it, we don't want him as a pastor. I mean, if that were the case, you guys would be looking for a pastor, I'm sorry, but I enjoy a sense of humor. I, I, I enjoy just the, the freedoms that we have in Christ and, and just the humor of, of life. That's not what he's speaking about, but what he is speaking about is the individual that is in a leadership position, they have to know where and when humor must end and where a serious and a balanced attitude has to take precedence. You can't always be joking around. There's gotta be times of serious discussion and serious work being done. Next we come, the the bishop, the elder, the pastor must also be of good behavior. It's like your mama used to tell you, Behave yourself, you know. Uh, the, the guy in leadership, the man that God puts in leadership within the church, he has to be of good behavior. Interesting enough, this is the same Greek word. Here we go with the Greek again. But it's the same Greek word that Paul uses over in chapter two of Timothy, kosmios, when, when he tells the women that they should dress in modest or cosmios apparel, in modest apparel. That word, cosmos meaning having that meaning of modest. Now, you could probably guess when you look at that word, the root of that word is actually cosmos. Uh, you know, cosmos, all, all that's around us, our, our universe, the, the planets, the stars, the, the cosmos, everything that's there. And you can look and you see that that word also has the meaning or a direct interpretation of an orderly arrangement just like the universe. The stars stay their courses. The planets stay their courses. These things that God has set in order. So this whole idea then comes together that an elder or a bishop or an overseer, again, he has to be of good behavior. There needs to be within his life a, a modesty, a respectability, and an organized life within him. Now, we move on and we look at one of the other things within the, the within the church, within the responsibility of the elder, is the fact that the love for a stranger, an important part of the ministry, both in the early church as well as today. Paul says that the overseer, the bishop, he has to be hospitable. That's not just inviting people into your home. It actually takes a much wider range. It's the the fullness of an attitude of care for individuals beyond the comfortable. In other words, getting out of our comfort zone to minister to people. It's the ability to love the unlovely and the unlovable. I don't know if you've noticed or not or if you know the, the truth of this or not, but not everybody that comes through these church doors are lovable okay some it really takes a, a, a huge effort to love them now i'm not speaking of any of you but uh, in in some of the other congregations okay uh some of the other times but sometimes it's just difficult well the responsibility of the leader is to show the love of christ even to the unlovely even to those that are hard to love because that's the call of christ within our lives Uh, An elder, a bishop, an overseer has has to have an open, he has to have a compassionate heart to the world that's around him. And sometimes when your heart is that open, sometimes your heart gets wounded greatly, but you can't close your heart because it's wounded. It has to remain open. That's the call of Christ on leadership. It's actually the call of Christ on all believers too. Within the gifts and the abilities of the pastor or the elder or the overseer, Paul also tells us that they need to be able to teach. And there's no doubt that some are, are, are gifted better in this category than, than others are. But it's not just in teaching that that holds true. I mean, in all of these categories, there's going to be some men that are, that are better in, in, in loving. There's going to be some men that are better in hospitality. There's, there's differences there, but so it is with, with teaching. However, to be able to teach speaks directly about the individual's commitment to the study, and to the understanding of the Scriptures. If you're going to teach, if you're going to be in that position of teaching, man, you've got to be able to be in the Word. If he's going to take that responsibility, he's got to be a willing and a faithful student of the Word of God. And as they know and as they grow within the Word, they have to be willing then and able to be able to share that word both in a one-on-one type of a situation or a small group situation or in a larger corporate setting. Now we get to the next characteristic. Now this characteristic, this requirement that Paul gives here, it is as controversial, if not more controversial, than the one speaking of being the husband of one wife. Paul says that the bishop, the elder, or the pastor should not be given to wine. Now, I'm going to spend more time on this than is going to be comfortable for many of us, including myself, But because I know that within this congregation, within those that are hearing this message, the the, the mixture of backgrounds, the the mixture of traditions, the mixture of experiences, well, I, I believe that, again, we need to cover this, we need to cover it well with a clear understanding. And again, the interpretation of this portion of the verse is as diverse as our culture is old. I mean, it it goes the whole gamut. You could have come out of a tradition, a church tradition, where it's absolutely not an issue at all. You could come out uh, from another church tradition where it is very much an issue. To many, it is a very, very hot-button issue, this whole idea of taking of alcoholic beverages. Regardless of what side of the fence you're on, I need you to understand, I want to be careful to explain once again That I'm desiring to be true, and I'm desiring to be clear in the interpretation of the Word of God, and then make practical application for us. Now, at the end of the study, you may or may not agree with me, but I do want to be, and I want you to be, a faithful student of God's Word, and that's where I would encourage you to find out your own personal position in this whole area. So let's look at this. A, a, a bishop uh, then must not be given to wine. The Greek word that Paul uses is per oinos. Per oinos. Per coming from para coming alongside, oinos uh, again speaking of wine. And it simply says in this direct interpretation, staying near wine or as is translated, given to wine.
0: The book of 1 Timothy opens our eyes to the value God places on leadership. The Apostle Paul shares what we should be looking for in the church we attend and in those who lead. We too can learn from these teachings and apply them in areas where we're in leadership. We hope you've learned something valuable from today's message on The Open Word. We'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to find a local church that you can call home. Being a part of a faith community is essential for growing in your relationship with Jesus and offers you a place to share your unique gifts. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with a special invitation.
1: I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com. Then follow the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior, and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to him each week.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. You'll also be able to get more information by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.